Welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that explores the intersection of security, technology, and humans. I spend 5 to 20 hours a week consuming books, articles, and podcasts, which I then turn into a concise 15 to 30-minute summary and analysis. There's a summary episode every week, as well as periodic standalone episodes that are either me sharing an idea on a topic or discussing one with a guest. The goal is twofold, to keep you up to date on the absolute latest in security and technology, and to explore ideas that hopefully give you something to think about. All right, welcome to episode 222, starting off with security news and again with coronavirus, which I think we can expect for a number of weeks and or months, and hopefully not years. So starting off with hiring, the CEO of Candor, Candor, a company that helps people get paid more through salary transparency, has posted a spreadsheet of which companies are known to be either hiring, have frozen hiring, or doing layoffs. It's a really cool spreadsheet and looks like it's being updated uh, fairly accurately. So I would definitely check this out if you're looking to get into the job market. Estimates. The U.S.'s top authority on COVID-19, Dr. Fauci, says that the U.S. should expect between 100,000 to 200,000 deaths from the disease with millions of cases. And this has actually caused the White House to extend the guidance to stay indoors all the way to the end of April. And I just actually watched the press conference where they were speaking about this, and I think he actually said 80,000 to 200,000. And, but the number being put around in the media is 100 to 200,000. And this is assuming we do a really good job with the additional uh, containment or uh, mitigation measures that we're going through right now. But that's what they're saying for the U.S., just for the U.S., 100 to 200,000 deaths uh, with millions of cases, which I think we already knew that. So, yeah, those are the numbers as of right now. Uh, the Pentagon is extremely worried. This is a separate story here. The Pentagon's extremely worried about foreign investors using this crisis to buy out American technologies. And they're calling this adversarial capital, which I think is a cool name. And of course, their primary concern is China, which makes sense. So basically, if you have these tech companies just crumble, and they're just starving for capital. And then you have China just swoop in with a bunch of either real or fake money or whatever, then they just buy the tech. It would be another way of doing what they're doing through hack hacking and espionage and other nefarious means. They could just do it above board by buying it. So the Pentagon is really blowing the whistle on this pretty hard and basically saying, yeah, you need to watch out for this. And a number of people and organizations are calling for the cancellation of April Fool's pranks this year, including Google. Evidently, Google participates in some like official April Fool's. I'm not sure exactly what that is. I don't think I've seen that. Maybe I have. I didn't notice. But they are not going to be playing. And I imagine they're going to somehow clamp down on propagation of them. Although, I don't know if they would do that officially through filtering search results. But I'm glad for this. It's kind of annoying every year anyway. I mean, it was first, it was, it was fun like the first 20 times, but, um, or, or maybe the first five times, but I don't know. It's just, it's tedious, right? And it's kind of annoying for the whole week. 
whatever week that falls in, it's annoying. But in this case, come on, it's just not the time or place right now. And uh, some guy in Turkey built a web scraper so he could buy groceries during the pandemic. So evidently, it's really hard to get groceries. Um, there's a website you go to, and it basically tells you, oh, you know, this thing has ran out. You could try again in a few days or a few hours or whatever. So he's he wrote a scraper so he could pull the endpoint and immediately make a purchase. He's basically crawling and doing continuous monitoring, which, I don't know, it's a little bit shady, but... When you're hungry, I mean, I, I don't think this is that malicious. And uh, some really cool research here. Booz Allen looked at over 200 unique incidents attributed to Russia's GRU and found that they followed patterns. So according to their analysis, the points of focus in their various attacks across these 200 um, incidents can be seen clearly in a Russian military document called the Military Doctrine of the Russian Federation which is a tr tremendous name for a Russian Federation doctrine from the military. Um, and evidently, it highlights 23 risks to Russia. And Booz Allen basically mapped all of the 200 incidents to one of the 23 risks that they might have been looking to address with the operation. Um, really, really interesting work here. I, I talked to a, a friend who uh, briefly who's in the intelligence business, and he's like, yeah, it's kind of crazy that a lot of these, these um, entities, they, they just tell you exactly what they're going to do. They write it down, and it's available. They, they describe their strategy, and then they meticulously go out and actually execute against it. So it's just a matter of connecting these two things together. Um, next story here, the U.S. government is now using Troy Hunt's Have I Been Pwned? So congratulations, Troy, on that. DNS changing attacks are still making the rounds and attacks against home routers. So this is where you install a piece of malware that brute forces your router's admin password from the inside and then changes DNS to point to them and their infrastructure, which basically gives them man-in-the-middle and password-stealing possibilities. So one of the best things you could do for your home network security is make sure you have really strong passwords for all your routers and modems and uh, in admin interfaces that could potentially be targets for this. And Google sent around 40,000 warnings to people that their accounts were being targeted by phishing campaigns from state-level actors. That's a 25% drop from 2018. And they said the drop is due to just better security, better tech overall. And somebody hacked an FSB contractor and exposed a program called Frontron, or Frontron? No, no, Fronton. I don't know. I would have gone another direction with this name, but Fronton. Maybe it means something in Russian. Which is basically a network of IoT devices that can be used for various military purposes. Probably, definitely DDoS. Um, you know, you know, the other thing you could do with these is maybe make votes. Um, to vote up content. Um, I didn't read that in the article, but th that seems also likely. You just need to look like a lot of different systems. Um, but yeah, the giant IoT uh, botnet, basically, a lot of cameras, a lot of video recorders, that type of stuff. And um, 
yeah, evidently used by a state actor in this case, um, Russia. So you may want to rotate your easily guessable meeting URLs like Zoom, WebEx, um, Skype, whatever else you're using, Google. Since a number of people have been showing up into people's meetings, they just kind of like whatever, Zoom bomb, I guess people are calling it. Although it's not always Zoom. But if it's guessable, if it's like John's meeting or whatever, and it's like a well-known company URL or a well-known just base URL, and you could just brute force these things, you just kind of show up, uh, th that could be bad. You could have espionage as a result of that, although I think that's pretty inefficient because there's a lot of ground to cover, um, unless you did it in some sort of automated way, which would be kind of cool. No, I think of it. But um, the thing that's got people a little bit freaked out is there were some meetings where it was like, I think it was like school kids and they were like all meeting. There was a big group and there was like a teacher there and like some naked guy showed up. Um, I don't know if they, if the person knew there was going to be kids there, but either way that they basically decided not to do any more of those meetings for a while. So um, just, just bad news. Like if you have guessable URLs, people just might show up. That's why it's good practice to be like, Oh, who's this? dial-in caller. Who is that? And you validate it before you proceed with the meeting, especially if it's sensitive. And for jobs that stressed physical, you know, being present uh, to do your work, like um, call centers and stuff like that, where managers would walk around and just be able to tell you, hey, you know, pay attention, do this, do that, whatever. Basically, where there's a lot of micromanagement going on in a physical space. Uh, remote work is causing management to freak out because they lost their ability to have control over these employees. So they're looking at tracking software, pretty pretty hardcore. Um, they're specifically looking at a few companies, which I don't have the names here, but wouldn't even want to say the name actually. But there are companies out there offering tracking software, which was already popular before, but now it's getting really popular because those micromanager physical types uh, really need an alternative in a remote world, right? And, and I don't want to say all instances of someone wanting to to check up on somebody is is bad. I mean, you could have a young person who is just like, you know, they need more micromanagement than someone who is self-sufficient or knows how to do their job or whatever. But in all cases, uh, or I would say in almost all cases, this nanny software that's just like, making sure where your eyes are, you know, just th that stuff is gross. And uh, it's also not necessarily that effective, right? It, it, you should be measuring based on the, someone's output and not on how they're getting there. But anyway, that's a philosophical discussion for some other time. A whistleblower says Saudi Arabia is abusing SS7 mobile phone flaws in the U.S. to surveil Saudi citizens as they move around the United States. So this is uh, pretty crazy, using SS7 flaws to track Saudi citizens in the U.S. And advisories. So there's a critical vulnerability with font rendering in all supported versions of Windows that allows attackers to run code on people's machines if they interact with a malicious document. Pretty standard fare here. You get... Um, sent a document, uh, some sort of phishing, you open the document, 
and uh, it runs code and exploits the font rendering system and gets you code execution at the system level. That's not good. And there's a critical RCEN open WRT and Adobe has an out of band security update in Creative Cloud Desktop for Windows. Breaches. GE has disclosed a breach affecting current and former employees as well as beneficiaries. That is no good. Technology news. The SEC is warning people to stop buying the wrong Zoom stock. <laughs> this is kind of funny. So if you want to buy the remote monitoring or the remote conferencing company, uh, Zoom, which everyone is using for, you know, remote meetings, the stock is ZM, not Z-O-O-M. So a bunch of people are just like, oh, Zoom's taking off, and they go buy Z-O-O-M because, well, that's how you spell Zoom. And uh, it's just the wrong company. I don't even know what they do, but it's not what Zoom does. So remember, ZM. Smart telescope startups are going to try to track all the light pollution producing satellites in the sky and automatically remove them from views and images. I think this is pretty cool. I think it's more likely to work than trying to get Musk not to put all those things in space in the first place. And the increased traffic coming into unemployment sites looks a lot like DDoS attacks. And unfortunately, it's having the same effect as a DDoS attack. And Sony just spun out its camera business into a separate company, which is interesting. Um, know some people who are pretty into photography, and the Sony cameras are uh, kicking a lot of butt. Yeah, especially with the mirrorless options. Human news. The New York Times did a front-page data visualization of unemployment claims, and it was utterly brilliant. I've got the link here in the show notes. This is a member episode, so you need to be a member to get this one, but unbelievable. Basically, at the bottom of the page is the front page of the paper. The bottom of the page has this up-and-down bar chart like you're normal, you normally see. It goes all the way to the right side of the page, and along the right side of the page going all the way up to the top is the one thin, super thin line. It is the entire height of the entire page. So the bar chart is at the bottom, this very, very short, squat little bar chart, which goes the whole width of the page, but at the bottom. And then there's this tiny little bar that goes top to bottom, just showing this massive difference. And it just takes out the whole right side of the page because it, it's so high. And it's just really, really powerful visual. Got to check it out. I mean, even if you don't have the link because you're not a member, just Google for it. it. It's all over right now. I've got a coffee table book of data visualizations because why not? And um, <clears throat> yeah, I think the next version of this book should have this in it. Patreon saw over 30,000 people sign up to become creators, influencers, in the first three weeks of March 2020. This pandemic is going to accelerate many other trends that were already coming, I think. But uh, one of those is people working for themselves and getting paid directly by their patrons. 
So I'm happy to see this happen. But yeah, first three weeks, 30,000 people signed up for Patreon. That's pretty, pretty cool. Around 2,000 medical professionals in San Francisco are wearing Aura rings, O-U-R-A rings, to track their biodata in hopes of creating an algorithm that can detect early COVID-19 symptoms. 2,000 medical professionals in San Francisco. I think I actually signed up for a study. I already have a ring, so they don't need to send me one. But um, yeah, really cool stuff. Ideas, trends, and analysis. It's time for global health socks powered by wearables. This is a piece I wrote basically saying we have all this wearable tech like auras, like watches, like uh, I don't know what else, but mostly watches and rings, I think. Bracelets maybe. And uh, we could send this. We, We need a protocol where we could send this up to some sort of shared location where epidemiologists and algorithms that do similar work can actually look at the stuff and get really early warning signs. And I've seen a couple of articles this week um, along those lines, basically taking data from uh, smart smartwatches, smart devices, wearables, and uh, you know, getting some sort of telemetry that, that helps them make predictions, which I think is really cool. And uh, yeah, we already have socks for security stuff. Now we need medical socks. Health socks. I think a major portion of a company's reputation in the coming years and maybe even decades will be based on how they treated their employees during COVID-19. Companies that require their workers to actually go in and physically show up longer than necessary without proper protection and didn't flex quickly into remote work in an accommodating posture will be remembered as monsters. And companies that move quickly to prioritize the health and stability of their employees, and you know where the senior leadership made sacrifices to make sure that the employees were happy and, and safe, they'll be remembered as honest, kind organizations. And I think that will endure for quite some time. Hardship exposes people's souls, and we're learning that it exposes organization souls as well. I wonder if COVID-19 will be significant enough to become an epoch delimiter, complete with an abbreviation like PC-19, AC-19 for pre and after, or pre-COVID, post-COVID, or PCV, ACV, or just PC-AC. Um, can't do a, have to do PC pre-COVID, can't do be, before COVID because BC is already taken. And uh, thought-terminating cliches are pieces of language designed to put an end to additional scrutiny of an idea. Example, it is what it is. What does that really mean? It's like basically you're at the end of a conversation. You're at the end of a discussion. And it's time to move on to the next point. So you're like, yeah, it is what it is. Or alternatively, someone could be shooting a hole in your argument. and trying to prove or, or, or illustrate that there's something wrong with your, your, your discussion, what you're putting forth. And you just be like, eh, it is what it is. So the idea is that these cliches basically shut down like valid conversation. I think it's interesting. I'm not sure it's always negative or malicious. There is just, there's something to be said for just, eh, it is what it is. And you just kind of move on to the next thing. 
In other words, it's possible for both sides to agree and still use this term to just transition to the next topic. But I also wrote about how a cliche is just generally bad to use because it's effectively inert language, which uh, I made the analogy of like cliches are code that doesn't execute with the idea that that language and speech, language in general, is basically code running on a person's brain. And, you know, if if you want to influence someone, you, you talk to them, right? And if you're a poet or you're a writer or whatever, you could really make some amazing things happen in the mind of the listener. And when you use cliches and you just kind of string them together, there's actually no code running on the mind of the listener at all, They're because it's all dead space. It's all commented out, right? It's just worthless. They're they're not they're not actually running an execution or or a, a simulation of what you're saying, because it's it's all just uh, pre-existing. I, I mean, the first time they heard the cliche, they were like, "Ah, that's cool," but that might have been 25 years ago, and now it's just dead space. So cliches are bad. That's the bottom line. But I like this term here, thought-terminating cliches. I think that's pretty cool. And it's interesting to think about what changes we'll see in the post-COVID era. See that? I used post-COVID. That was Joel's submission, by the way. Joel P. I think one will definitely be the accelerated adoption of touchless technology, like payments and information transfer. It'd be nice to be able to exchange medical records securely and hygienically at a doctor's office instead of using a Petri pen to write your social security number down like six times on a piece of paper, actually six pieces of paper. And I anticipate that it's about to be a lot less acceptable to hand somebody a credit card or anything else and have them hand it back. People are just want to, they're going to want to be touchless for basically everything. Got an article here. It's not by me. It's called, You're Not Writing Code, You're Solving Problems. I like it. And more people are listening to the radio, evidently, and fewer people are streaming music during the crisis so far, which is interesting. It makes sense. Radio is live, and it's the the most fresh information. And people, I don't know, just not feeling the vibe of music, I guess, right now. Maybe it's not so much that they don't want to hear music, it's that they'd rather hear news more. But that will probably get tiring. I know a lot of people are getting tired of it already. Updates. Just donated $50 to Khan Academy because their servers are being overrun by increased demand. Consider helping as well if you can. Lots of parents are relying on that content right now for homeschooling. So if you could donate, that would be awesome. I'm also doing folding at home, which is doing some coronavirus analysis. Evidently, this distributed computer is more powerful than the top seven supercomputers combined, which I think is awesome. I used to do SETI as well back in university. So um, yeah, I used to do SETI and folding at home, I think back in university. So it's cool to be uh, doing folding at home again. And Discovery. There's a virtual conference on April 4th called Versecon 2020. It's focused around Recon, AppSec, and has a great lineup of speakers, including Jason Haddix, Don Isabel, 
Tom Nom Nom, Stoke, and many others. I'm going to try to go to that. It's April 4th. And it's a virtual conference. Someone responded <laughs> directly in the tweet, and it's like, oh, nobody can travel. You shouldn't have a conference. It's like, that's what the VIR is. It's virtual. So, yeah, try to sign up for that if you can. And um, got a site here that's nothing but positive news about COVID-19. That is fantastic. And as I mentioned in a previous show, there's also um, uplifting news, wholesome memes, um, iBleach, a number of Reddit subreddits that are really good for positivity, which a lot of people need right now. And uh, for this particular site, the stories tend to focus on the human element of things, which I saw one cool one. There was a woman, I think she was in England. She was getting in the right side of the car to drive, so that's a safe guess. And uh, she was just coming out. She had like a, a red cross on her on her um, windbreaker or whatever. And like the whole neighborhood just like started clapping as she was getting in her car because she was a paramedic. And like you see her tearing up and it's just very emotional, these uh, – this appreciation of our medical people on the front lines, it's uh, warming. And this is basically a site of exactly that kind of stuff. And the New York Times has released this data set on confirmed COVID-19 cases. Ventilators 101, what they do and how they work. The second golden age of blogging. Yale has a free course on happiness, which is evidently very popular. I think I'm going to check it out. And if you remember me ranting about the book Super Forecasters, you'll remember that there's actually an ongoing project uh, with that group of people and that they're, they make regular predictions about lots of different stuff. And COVID-19 outcomes is actually one of those things right now. They have a public site dedicated to showing and updating their estimates and got the link here. This is really cool stuff. Super Forecasters, by the way, is probably a top 10 book for me. After out of and that's out of like a thousand books, probably read close to a thousand books, and um, yeah, top ten, no question for me. And the people who are the center of this book, these people who can predict things better than anyone else in the world, they have a website where they have posted their predictions about COVID nineteen outcomes. So, really cool link, probably the coolest link I've seen in a couple of weeks, no, probably a couple of months actually. And the New York Times series on explaining interesting data visualizations called What's Going On in This Graph. I love data visualization. I have for as long as I can remember. And I love the New York Times stuff. It's just so, so well done. It's like, it's, it's subtle. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just very, very classy, very clean, uh, very well explained. And there's a whole, it's a whole column just about data visualizations called what's going on in this graph. And got the link here. And two tools here, uh, Sandcastle, AWS S3 bucket enumeration, and Final Recon, another all-in-one web OSINT recon tool. And that brings us to recommendations. Um, so the first one here, I urge everyone in the U.S. to prepare for three things happening at once in the next one to eight weeks. One, people dying in large numbers due to overflowing hospitals, basically the lack of ability to get oxygen and ventilators. 
So that's the first one. Number two, millions of people being laid off. And three, there being fewer police and medical first responders due to them being sick themselves. So I worry that these will combine into increased lawlessness around the country at a small to medium scale. Obviously, I, I can't predict that. I don't, I don't think it's going to be a Mad Max, but I, I'm worried it could be small to medium scale problem. So I anticipate a lot more break-ins, assaults, other types of crime based around getting quick access to resources and or taking out aggression. In addition to preparing through social distancing and having enough food, please consider your travel and home safety as well. Run through some threat models on what you would do if confronted by someone while traveling or while at home who wants to take something from you and your family. Have some sort of plan, even if it's vague. You don't have to prepare to be attacked by Navy SEALs. Just consider some basic scenarios the possibility of using deterrence, and think about what you are willing to fight for versus let other people have. good example of this is maybe carry two wallets, like keep maybe keep your money and your most important stuff in like your front left pocket if you're a guy, and maybe have a wallet in the back with like 40 bucks in it and maybe some fake cards or something, and just maybe anticipate that someone will be like, hey, give me your money, Okay, what are you going to do? Are you going to do kung fu? Are you going to fight this person? Are you going to attack them? If you have a gun, are you going to shoot them? Are you going to kill them? Right? Just think about those trade-offs. Think about think about how bad off someone would have to be to be in that situation to do that to you. Maybe you don't want to kill them. Maybe you, you're not confident that you can run away. Maybe giving them this fake wallet with fake cards um but still a little bit of money, still $40 could possibly help them if they really needed it. Maybe that's the best possible situation. And maybe there are other situations like this that that's um, that would reduce your risk and reduce the risk of something really bad happening if, if you find yourself in one of these scenarios. So thinking about this for just 30 minutes can make a world of difference if you actually get put into one of these positions. Next one here, however kind you are to people who annoy you in regular life, try to make twice the effort over the next several weeks or a few months to, to be even nicer, right? Just double the effort. People who follow shows like this one uh, tend to be pretty well off compared to most. Like we have IT jobs, that's pretty amazing compared to the rest of the world. Um, so when someone annoys you or treats you poorly, take the time to think about what they might be going through and just try to be extra nice. And if you've always wanted to get into meditation but never had the perfect moment, well, this could be it. I, I think this could actually be it. You, you have time on your hands. There's plenty of stress, which could be helped by meditation. And Sam Harris just did a great podcast on the benefits of meditation during a crisis. And I recommend his app Waking Up for getting started in meditation in the first place. And I uh, got a link to that here. You can just go to samharris.org and sign up if, uh, if you want to go there directly. And the aphorism for the week, 
Losing your head in a crisis is a good way to become the crisis. Losing your head in a crisis is a good way to become the crisis. C.J. Redwine All right, thanks for listening to this episode of Unsupervised Learning. I believe ads are not just annoying, but that their incentive structure is toxic to the content creation process. So if you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it directly for just $5 a month or $50 a year, which is two months for free. UL members get the newsletter each week instead of just twice a month. They get access to the archives. They get access to the UL Slack community, where we share ideas and links about the topics we discuss here in the podcast. They also get access to the UL Book Club, where we pick a book a month and talk about it live as a group. To become a member, just head over to danielmeesler.com slash subscribe. And thank you so much to everyone who's already a member. Each of you is helping support a model of content creation that we really need right now. And I appreciate you greatly. We'll see you next time.